Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use me today as a vessel for your word, that the words, that, that you would give me words to preach today and give us all ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In 2 Samuel 12, we hear Nathan the prophet tell King David a story. And he says this, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children he used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and this rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock and herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. I want you to hear how King David responds. We hear... Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Nathan, the prophet, responds to David and says, You are that man. King David, in the Old Testament, had sinned against God by lusting after and sleeping with Bathsheba, who he wasn't married to, who was married to another man. And then he tries to conceal this when he finds out she's pregnant by sending that man into battle to die. He had sinned against God, and he thought that his secret was safe until God himself sends a prophet to call him out, to call him to repentance. And the prophet uses what's called a parable. In the Old Testament, prophets would speak Things in parables, which are parallel illustrations to events, allegories. Sometimes they're considered proverbs or adages, but they're meant to convey a moral commentary. And these proverbs, the meaning behind it, are sometimes initially they're, un, they're, they're veiled. They're not entirely understood. The meaning is hidden from our eyes, from our ears, from our understanding. Jesus as the prophet of all prophets, speaks many things in parables. And we hear today, he uh, gets into a boat, casts out, and speaks to this giant crowd, many things in parables. And he starts to teach about parables, specifically about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be starting a, a, a brief series on the kingdom parables for these next few weeks. So if you have a Bible in front of you, which you should, in the pew, please join me in Matthew 13. We're going to be starting a series on the kingdom parables. In particular, today's parable, the kingdom, sorry, the parable of the sower. So this begins with Jesus, who um, was initially inside of a house and, and walks outside, sits beside the sea, and wherever Jesus goes, massive, massive crowds tend to follow um, with uh, no warning. And so uh, there's many times where Jesus is surrounded by a crowd and everyone's pushing him in from every side and he's just trying to get away. 
Um, I, I imagine this, no, I'm not even going to use that illustration. Um, so Jesus himself, in order to remedy this situation, in order to minister and teach to this massive crowd of people, steps into a boat on the shore, casts away, and creates a makeshift uh, auditorium, or, or uh, what would you call it, the amphitheater, where he's speaking to this crowd from this boat. He's got a platform. And we hear he speaks, he tells them many things in parables. And today he, he speaks to this one parable where he talks about a man who comes with seed and casts out seed abundantly all over. And the seed lands in many different terrains. Three of these soils or these terrains are barren. They don't produce any fruit. But then there's one that produces an overabundance which makes up for the other three that don't produce any fruit. One is the pathway in which there are birds that uh, clearly see the seed and they gobble up the seed. It's like the seeds were never there in the first place. Then there's the rocks that the, the uh, seeds sprout up initially, but they don't have any root, so the sun scorches them and they die off. And then finally, there's those that they, they have roots. They grow up, but there's thorns that choke them up, so they never actually produce fruit. Jesus tells this parable, gives absolutely no explanation, and says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And the crowds are, I imagine, just left wondering, like, what did he just say? And so he, Jesus himself gives an explanation. We're not going to get to that yet. But he gives this message a parable, a story which conveys a meaning, gives no explanation, and this large, massive crowd doesn't understand what he says. Now, this was not in the gospel reading out here, but this comes right in smack dab in between the parable and the explanation of the parable. And so I want you to listen close and hear this. The disciples come up to Jesus, and they may or may not understand what's being spoken, he says, why do you speak to them in parables? They're trying to understand why he's even saying this. But Jesus gives an explanation. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not been given. The secrets of the kingdom is the message, the gospel of the kingdom. That Jesus is Lord, that his kingdom is breaking in and he invites all to join and and pledge their allegiance to King Jesus, to become part of the kingdom of God. And this was a secret hidden long, long ago, finally unveiled in the person of Jesus. This secret unveiled is embraced and accepted from what we can tell by the disciples. Not perfectly. We know the disciples' stories, and we know Judas doesn't ever quite really take But for most people in Jesus' day, they did not have ears to hear this message, this secret of the kingdom. And this is what Jesus says in verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You think of it as they're hearing it, but it's going kind of in one ear and out the other. Jesus explains it a little bit further in quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and says, 
For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. It's as if there's, there's one sense in which well, people, these people are unable to really perceive and understand. It's not their fault. But there's another sense in which there's a refusal to turn back to Jesus, a refusal to repent. It's that they're given this message of the gospel, but they don't want it. They don't embrace it. So it's a both and. So when it's said that they hear, but they, they don't really hear, that's what's being explained. And Jesus further explains and says about the disciples, he says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. So Jesus gives this brief explanation of what's going on with the people, why he says things in parables, which themselves are veiled. is because he is sowing seeds of the secrets of the kingdom. And most people don't grasp it. But the disciples, seeing, they see, and hearing, they hear. They get it. They understand it. Then Jesus goes into his explanation of the parable. And what's interesting is this explanation of the parable is an allegory for Jesus himself preaching his message, his parable, the secrets of the kingdom to the crowds, the disciples perceiving, and the crowds not understanding. Jesus gives this explanation. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that's the gospel, that's the message, the proclamation of the kingdom of God as it is coming. When anyone hears the word and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. The seeds... The, the, the message of the kingdom are, 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 are given away. And just like birds that snatch up seeds, so it's almost like they were never there. So the enemy uses distraction and idle thoughts to take away the word. Like it was never, that we never heard it in the first place. So this is the pitfall. This can be a pitfall of distraction, which the enemy uses as a tool to distract us from the gospel so that it's as if we've never heard it in the first place. And so if you have a tendency to be distracted, I want you to hear that message today. The enemy uses distraction to distract us from the word itself. So it's like the impact isn't there. It's like God himself isn't speaking. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this text, says, Careless, trifling hearers are an easy prey to Satan. He will be sure to rob us of the word if we take not care to hear it. So this is the first barren, unfruitful soil. And I've dubbed it distraction. The second, the rocky soil, Jesus explains as follows. In verse 20, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately 
he falls away. So it's the seed that lands on rocky ground, and it sprouts up, but it's never actually able to fully take root. And so the sun, beaming down, zaps it. That analogy is to the person who hears the gospel, says, oh man, this is great, receives it with joy, but is not rooted. Isn't rooted in the word of God. Isn't rooted in a confidence in Jesus. And so whenever there's any pushback, great or small and subtle, they drop Jesus like a bad habit. They are immediately, they immediately fall away. So think, I mean, Jesus says persecution and tribulation. And so we might think, oh, that's what people experience in other countries. I'm glad I don't have to worry about that today. But we have peer pressure. We have friends and family and random people. And if we feel any pushback on account of our beliefs or the church we attend, people say, you, you know, you're, you're doing what? Your church believes what? If there's any questioning. Sometimes we feel in, in our country, in our nation, in our culture, uh, if we feel any pushback, we want to renege, want to uh, turn away. An example of this is me when I first started to kind of walk with Jesus. When I was in college and I started hanging out with a lot of Christian people and my life didn't fully reflect that yet, um, but I, I started to make life changes. And I ran across one of my old roommates at a party who was kind of headed in the opposite direction, away from God and, and belief in God and towards uh, heavy skepticism. And I remember him saying, well, I've noticed you hang out with all these Christian people. You better not become a Christian. You better not become one of those weird, you know, fundies or something like that. And so I had said, uh, oh, no, 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 I, I, I won't do that. I won't become a Christian. Uh, not a good thing to say. Um, I lied because I knew that I didn't mean that. Um, but that's an example of any subtle little pushback. I didn't care what that guy said, really. But I didn't want to be in an uncomfortable situation. And so I sort of wanted to pull away. Um, thankfully, the Lord you know, made sure that didn't ultimately happen. But with some people, that's, that, that doesn't happen. And so that's a pitfall. Any little pushback. The third soil in this parable in Matthew 13 is the the soil that's infested with thorny weeds. The seeds that fall, they, they get root. It says that they're implanted. They grow up. But the thorns choke them up choke them out so much that they can't actually produce fruit. Jesus likens this to the person who is swayed and choked out by the cares of this age. It says cares of the world, but it's cares of this age as opposed to the age to come and the deceitfulness of riches. So in general, this is the allure of material things, but we see two different things at play here. The first is the cares, the anxieties of this age. This is, so if, if we're focused on this age as opposed to the age to come. The age to come, eternal life, the kingdom of God, the new creation, which is on the horizon, but it's not here now. If we're focused 
heavily focused on this age, we think of material things. We have a dullness to spiritual things. We are enamored by sex, by, uh, by money, by entertainment, by things like this. And this proves to cause many to be unfruitful, unproductive in their lives. Because what happens is there's an, a spiritual atrophy, a withering away, so that this person does not produce spiritual fruit. In addition to the cares of this age, the materialism there, there is a deceitfulness of riches. So money is not in and of itself an evil thing. But there's often a deceitfulness that comes with it. Because with money we think, one, that we ourselves have of our own power have gained whatever we have and two whatever we have whatever possessions whatever money we we are untouchable there's kind of a twofold uh, issue with the, the deceitfulness of riches it's what we do and what we think about money can cause a massive pitfall I'm reminded of Deuteronomy 8 verse 11 when the people of Israel were, were about to go into the promised land, lush with vegetation, with riches, with the spoils of the people who used to be there, God gives them a warning. He says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, lest when you have taken, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, then your hearts be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. When we have all of our needs met, we don't have a dependence on God sometimes. We need to take care. In addition, he says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. God gives us everything. God is the one who protects us, and God takes away. Jesus himself gives a parable of a rich man who, uh, thinking that he can secure his own future, builds a large, giant storehouse to store up grain. He kicks back and says, I'm set. I'm good to go. I can eat and drink and be merry. And then God takes his life like that. And who's going to get all those possessions? They didn't secure anything for him. So there is a deceitfulness that comes with wealth. And there is a spiritual atrophy that can be caused by a, a hyper-focus on material things. A hyper-focus on the here and now in this age. These are the three pitfalls that Jesus warns us about. The three soils in this parable distraction, distracting us from the word, almost like we've never heard it in the first place. Pushback, a pushback that if we have no root, a no-rootedness, we fall away. And then a lure to material things that can cause us to wither away and spiritually shrivel up. But there's one other soil that Jesus tells us about and explains 
Jesus says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And then as a result, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another case 30. Not everyone's going to be the same amount of fruitfulness. But the person who hears the word, who embraces it, their life shows evidence of it. The idea is that hearing and embracing and applying God's word, namely the message of the gospel, will prove itself in the end. And Jesus is referring to, in particular, if we trust in Jesus truly, it's going to evidence itself in obedience. This is the obedience of faith. Jesus says in, in the, the verse just before this, in, in, in Matthew 12, verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever, whoever uh, is obedient to God is in, is in the family, the household of God, in the kingdom. That's on his mind as he shares this parable right afterwards. When Jesus is talking about bearing fruit, he has in his mind what he said just a chapter before. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. We know this is obviously the case when we see an apple tree producing apples. We know it's an apple tree because there's apples onto it. We assume there's probably not someone who's taken a bunch of apples and stapled it to a dead tree or anything like that. But that's, we can assume that that's not the case because that's not how uh, nature works for the most part. For the most part, that's right. When Lottie and I purchased the house that we're in right now, we didn't know what we were in store for with the jungle in our backyard. There's a lot of, of uh, weeds and and plants and bushes in there, and I've been meaning to buy a machete and just mow it all down. <laughs> However, we've discovered that we have blueberry bushes. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we're excited for when they're fully ripe, because, I mean, it's, it's almost time. I mean, they're, they're like a dark purple. They're not yet that rich blue color, um, and they're not, they're not yet ready to pull. But we know the treat by its fruit, because we've seen the blueberry bushes, thankfully. And so it is with God when he looks at us. Right after Jesus says, either make the tree known, tree good and its fruit good, for a tree is known by its fruit, he says the following. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And this is hard to understand sometimes because we believe that by trusting in Jesus, by pledging our allegiance to Jesus and doing that alone, we are saved and brought into the kingdom. But what Jesus is telling us is that that trust, that allegiance, that faith shows forth evidence that God will point at and say, and, and, and say see, there you go. And I don't pretend to fully understand all of that. except that a tree is known by its fruit. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There are those that, that embrace the word and it shows evidence in their life. 
And there's varying degrees of fruitfulness, but fruit is part of embracing the gospel. So what I want us to think about and focus on today is to examine ourselves. That's the call. When we hear this message, we should examine ourselves and to see which of these soils are we and which of these soils threaten to shipwreck our faith. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 St. Paul's writing to a church. It's a church. And he does not assume that they all are Christians or they, they all bear fruit and they all will be in the kingdom of God on judgment day. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ in, is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And so what I'm asking us to do is first off to reflect and examine ourselves and to ask, which of these soils threatens, is encroaching to overthrow and to shipwreck our faith? Distraction? A rootlessness? Lack of confidence in God and in his word? Peer pressure caving to pushback? A focus on material things, an obsession with uh, uh, hedonism and the things of this age, a false assurance from money. Which of these threaten to bankrupt our faith? And I'll leave you with that, but I'll also leave you with this. Don't obsess over whether you're producing fruit or not, because apple trees don't focus really hard on whether they're producing fruit or not. You don't ever see an apple tree get really anxious because it's not producing fruit and try really hard to pop some out. The source of our hope is not the fruit, but the sower, the one who sows the seed. Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, who sends out messengers to proclaim the gospel, who himself is the king of this gospel of the kingdom. He alone, God alone, is the one who provides growth from the seeds planted. So the call is to turn to Jesus, to have ears that hear, eyes that see, a heart that understands, and to turn to Jesus and to embrace him and be saved. This is the parable of the sower. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.